Well, for uh, the next couple of, well, let me, let me start by praying for you guys, people. Let me do that first. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, uh, just before we dive into your word and enjoy you there in the midst of it, Father, my, I just want to spend a moment praying over your people. God, we are all living in the midst of different circumstances. God, some of us uh, just maybe kind of crawled in here this morning on empty, and others are skipping in here, and God, some are full of exciting plans and things they're joyous about. Others, Lord, are just deeply struggling. Uh, but Father, you are such a God as can uh, receive a prayer that is broad enough to cover all of us. Father, we can't, by heaping up words, make you more aware of anything. You are God. You're in heaven. We're here. I'll let my words be few in this moment. But Father, you're aware of it all. God, you see not only the circumstances of the day, the things that we're aware of. God, you see what's going to be going on a year from now, 10 years from now, if Jesus should tarry. Father, we look to you in trust because we have learned through experience that you are a good God. You are excellent. And God, even the trials that you allow to enter our lives are filled with good purposes. God, you redeem them. You use them to mature in us a greater Christ-likeness. My Father, my prayer for my friends here this morning is just that you would give them exactly what they need for today and that supernatural ability to trust you for all that will be needed tomorrow. God, whatever our circumstances are today, I pray that you would give us the capacity to represent you well in the midst of those. God, that we would demonstrate by our confidence in you, our clinging to your promises, that you are our great treasure. You're the great central hope of our lives. And uh, Father, I just thank you for my friends here. And Father, I pray that we, your church family, would be uh, wonderful traveling companions to one another as we're all making our way home to you. God, help us to support one another and to be the answer to our neighbor's prayer. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, for the next couple months, leading up again to that mid-October time, we're going to be having a conversation as a church, and today we're going to be beginning that conversation. If you've been a part of State Road for a while, you know that the way I tend to approach a, a sermon series or even just any Sunday morning is we have sort of a text, and we then work our way through that text. We try to understand what God was saying to the people who originally heard it and what that means for us today. And and we do that because we want God to speak in the middle of these times, and you don't need Josh Tate's opinion on anything. We need something more solid than that. We need the Word of God. And that's really important that we do. And so I'm going to ask your permission for something that's a little different for me. Uh, this morning, we're going to be kind of taking in the view from 30,000 feet, as it were, of a broad theme in the Bible. We're not going to be tackling one specific passage necessarily, which is, I'm going to advertise at the front, kind of a dangerous approach to preaching <laughs> in general. I don't think we should make a habit of that, but every once in a while... Uh, we're, we need to zoom out and see the lay of the land in terms of this broad biblical theme that runs right through the book. It's very important for us to see because in the coming weeks, we're going to land the plane and we're going to get out and we're going to walk around and get um, acquainted in more intimate detail with some very specific passages. Here's what we're going to be doing. We're going to be talking between now and mid-October or thereabouts through some of the great one another passages in the Bible. Uh, the Bible is full of that phrase, one another. 
And as we lead up towards small groups and launching that exciting season in the life of our church, um, we're going to be talking about what God's heart is in this often repeated command to be one another. I don't think that's a phrase, one anothering, but we're going to invent it here at State Road. I will confess to you, though, that that phrase, thrown out in a room as diverse as this, is going to be received with mingled emotions. I know this to be true, um, because when I was a kid in school, my two least favorite words in the English language were partner up. (laughs) Some of you who are like me, you emotionally instantly know exactly what I mean. The teacher would say, okay, I need you guys to partner up. And something within you would just sort of crater, like, oh, no. Other students seemed to, like, perk up at the idea. And they would grab their best friend or whatever, and this was the greatest thing you could throw out to them at all, partner up. And so human beings are very different. And any time that um, I stand, and for example, here's a really good example. Human beings respond to stress very differently. Um, Here's an example of one response to stress. When you're alone and life is making you lonely, you can always go. If you've got worries, all the noise and the hurry seems to help, I know. Okay, so there are downtown Petula Clark kind of people where when you've got worries, you go downtown. You're looking for a social scene. You seek out people. The theme song to Cheers is another good example of this. I won't sing it. Don't worry. <laughs> Where everybody... No, okay. <laughs> but here's the other side of it. Some people in distress go, um, when this old world starts getting you down and people are just too much for you to face... I climb right up to the top of the stairs, and all my cares just drift right into space. Up on the roof by the drifters. You guys know that. Some of you are looking like, I don't know that song. Thank you. My musical career began today and ended today. So, (laughs) But in this room, I'm willing to bet we have downtown kind of people and we have up-on-the-roof kind of people where you're, you're having a rough time, it's stressful, people are hard for you. You want to go up on the roof, and you don't want to people anymore. Some of you, though, are Petula Clark kind of people. We're like, it's been rough. I need to go find people. So when I say we're going to be talking about being a one-another people, one of the things that's very important to clarify is I am not categorically am not speaking about a natural human temperament or a personality trait. I'm not affirming the Pactula Clarks of the world and disaffirming the drifters. That's not what I'm doing. Those are very natural things, and when we look at the totality of what the Bible calls us to as one another people, this is not that. This is something very different. This is something that transcends natural human temperament or inclinations. And that's what we're going to be talking about. One another is such a common phrase in the Bible that it would be easy, easy, easy to skip right by it without dwelling for even a fraction of a second on its significance. For example, in the Bible, we are told to love one another. 
Be devoted to one another, honor one another, live in harmony with one another, accept one another, look out for one another, greet one another with a holy kiss. Serve one another, carry one another's burdens, bear with one another, be kind to one another, be compassionate to one another, forgive one another, teach one another, admonish one another, encourage one another, build one another up, spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Meet with one another, confess your sins to one another, have fellowship with one another, speak truthfully to one another, do not sue one another, seek good for one another, outdo one another in showing honor, live in harmony with one another, and I could keep going, but I'll stop. They could just keep going for a long time. One another, one another, one another, one another, one another. God is hitting this note again and again and again and again. Don't lose sight from the 30,000-foot view that in the midst of this is something really important about God's heart for us, something really, really critical. The one another being described here is not humanity generally. When Jesus had the disciples in the upper room and he says, a new command I give you as I have loved you, you must love one another, he's not saying human beings be nice to each other. (laughs) I think he wants you to be nice to each other, don't get me wrong. But he's speaking to them in a very specific group. The one another are his disciples. And that's us. We're disciples of Jesus. We're followers of him. Sincere, from the heart, imitators of Jesus. These one another commands are for his church. They're for the benefit of the unbelieving world, in part. But it's also really critically important that we understand that these are mandates from our Lord. And none of these descriptions of who we are to be within the church as a one another people are describing again what we might call a natural tendency or a natural outgrowth of a certain personality. Each of these one another statements, if they are to be lived out in the way that the Bible calls us to, is going to be a disposition produced by grace, grace alone, and the operation of the Holy Spirit in our lives. No person, no natural temperament or human personality will naturally conform to this list of one another statements that we find in the Bible. I really think that their existence within the church is proof of the Holy Spirit's movement in the midst. And I'll I'll just be very honest. When I read through these one another statements, and in my office I've started collecting a list of them, and we're going to be spending some time in all of some of them. We can't do all of them. I just found my heart soaring with the picture of this community that God describes. I found myself pulled toward it, powerfully attracted to it, but also at the same time sad that I've never experienced this in in its fullness in my entire life. And maybe we won't until Jesus comes back. But I do think that we can embrace something excellent and good something awesome and generous and expansive and mind-blowingly unprecedented in my life, we can realize here among us at State Road. I think with the Holy Spirit's help, my hope is that as we spend time in these passages, as we move towards the fall, when we're going to intentionally move towards one another in small groups, and hopefully see within the midst of those kind of communities some great things flourishing, maybe I just want a taste of something of what I see here in the totality, the entirety of these one another statements. Romans 12.5 says, So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. 
again, a very familiar passage and one that I've certainly been familiar for a long time as a Christian. Um, But again, this idea of being connected to one another in an interdependent, interconnected way, I think, again, strikes human beings differently. I think some people hear this and they go, oh, that sounds like messy entanglement. (laughs) Other people sounds like, oh, that's exactly what I need. But again, this is something supernatural. I think the desire for it is supernatural. And so uh, one thing to see here, though, is the interdependent, interconnected nature of the body one with another. When it says that we are members of a body, uh, we need to think about how the different body parts relate to one another. Even though they're diverse and different, they are interdependent on one another. My eye would have a hard time functioning without my hands or the neck to turn it. You know, it would be, we're just all interdependent and connected. And I think that one thing, one thing that every Christian who's ever joined themselves to a church will ask themselves, either in a very deliberate and explicit way or in a less conscious in the background kind of way is, how involved am I going to get in this thing? The church can sometimes feel like this vacuum that will just pull as much of you in as you'll give it. And I think sometimes people feel like, how, I, how involved am I going to get in this thing, the church? And I don't just mean how many meetings will I attend or how many ministry efforts will I invest myself in, how many of these Rockville Public Works Department's things am I going to show up at and paint houses. I'm not just saying that. Those things are important. They are a given in hope, in fact, I hope. But one of these, one another passages that many of us are probably familiar with is Hebrews 10, 24 through 25. It says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. I hope to spend some time with these verses on one of the coming weeks. And when we do, we'll see that this is not a command to be present. This is not a command to be in attendance somewhere. The one another fellowship that the Bible calls us to again and again and again is more, much, much more than a command to simply be present. If you call Jesus your Lord, not just your Savior, but your Lord also, We must understand these one another statements as a command, a mandate that has been given for your joy and for the flourishing of something within the church that, again, is generous and it's expansive and it's wonderful and needed and good. And yes, maybe even in your own experience, unprecedented. And maybe if we live these things out here among us as State Road, we might experience something that we have never experienced before. I would love to come out to a new place, a new season as a Christian where I'm surprised by God in the midst, by His goodness. And so when we read passages like Hebrews 10, normally in my Christian experience, that's held up as proof that you need to be in attendance somewhere regularly. And I think that's maybe the minimum meaning of that. But what's meant in its fullness there is something much deeper, much, much more challenging. We should be involved enough with other Christians that we are regularly experiencing the fact that we are interconnected and interdependent members of one body. I think this test applies in two distinct ways. First, 
Uh, each of us needs to be able to say, if you're a follower of Jesus today, and I'm aware I'm speaking to a diverse crowd, maybe some of you are not there yet. But if you are a follower of Jesus, you call him your Savior and Lord, I think each of us needs to be able to say that we are regularly blessed and helped by other believers, and we receive spiritual support, and yes, even material support from the church. This represents the receiving side of Christian fellowship. Christian fellowship is, um, is always going to be one part of, part of it will be receiving and part of it will be giving. And I think this test applies in both directions. Some Christians seem to think that their need for supportive fellowship with other believers is somehow a sign of spiritual weakness. They say to themselves, if I was a more mature believer, then Jesus would be all that I need. I shouldn't need other people to encourage me or recognize my contributions, they think to themselves. I should get all the encouragement I need from God. However, what the one another passages show us, what the broader testimony of the Bible shows us, is that man is God's method. God accomplishes all kinds of things through people. And I've made this point on so many Sundays. Forgive me if you're familiar with this well-worn tripe at this point. <laughs> when God set out to do something as important as give us his revealed word, which is the basis for everything that we've put our trust and hope in, how did he accomplish that? Through the inspired writings of men. He used man as his method to give us the Bible. They're Holy Spirit inspired. I believe in their inerrancy, their perfection, that you can believe in them with all your weight because they're God's very words. But he transmitted them to us. He gave them to us through the inspired writings of human beings. That's amazing. He calls human beings to be leaders in the church. Have you ever thought in a mysterious way about the place of prayer? It says in the Sermon on the Mount that he knows what you're going to ask for before you ever open your mouth. So then we have to wonder, well, why pray? Again, why is man your method, God? Have you ever thought with wonder and amazement at what Jesus says about the harvest? He says, pray to the Lord of the harvest, that's him, <laughs> that he would send out more laborers into the harvest. And you go, well, why the question? You're the Lord of the harvest. You know the fields are white. Why don't you just get some more workers out there? Because prayer, man is his method. More than wanting to do it, he wants to do it in response to your prayer. And so when we say, God should be enough for me, I should get all my encouragement from him, you're neglecting the very important truth in the Bible that his MO, his modus operandi, is that he very often will encourage you through other believers. He doesn't need your money. Why does he ask for it? <laughs> Why does he command that we give and not only give but be cheerful in the giving? Because you're his method. It's a mysterious thing about our God. I'll confess I don't understand it perfectly. But there it is again and again and again. Remember when we worked our way through the eight miraculous signs in the book of John? Every miracle, he involved human beings in the working of that miracle. When he fed the 5,000, he took the broken bread, gave it to the disciples who in turn gave it to everybody. We see this again and again and again. Human beings are his method. And so when we say, I shouldn't need people, 
If you say I shouldn't need the church, it's like saying I don't need God. This is the body. This is how he intends to speak and bless and meet needs and answer prayers is you and me, one another. I think sometimes one of the reasons why we're so frustrated in our pers- and defeated in our pursuit of personal righteousness is because we have not sought help for that within the body. I think very often we are frustrated in various aspects of the spiritual life because we want it to come directly from God and want, God wants to give it to us through His church. And so we need to see this in, in the one another passages. In all these one another passages, it is God saying what He intends to do through you and for you through the community of the church. The church, fellow believers, are one of the means of grace by which God grows us into greater Christ-likeness and helps us endure until the last day. We need one another. This is why Paul, using the metaphor of the body, again says, The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. So yes, one of the tests that we can self-apply is if we are regular receiving that kind of support from within the body of Christ. And second, we should also be able to say that we are a blessing and a help to others within the body. We're a source of spiritual support to others. This is the contributing side of involvement in Christian fellowship. And I got to tell you, State Road, you guys are absolute Vikings at this. (laughs) You guys are the best at showing up and helping people. Just amazing. You're a wonderful church family. I've been blessed by it and have seen it so many different ways. I don't even need to spend much time in the sermon on this because this is some place where you guys are just amazing. God has gifted you guys to play a unique and needed role in building up other Christians. There's great joy in discovering how God made us to fit within the body as a vitally contributing member. And there's joy also in discovering how those who God has placed around us bless us with their giftedness. Uh, If you go to a Christian bookstore, and I've talked about this before too, you'll see loads of books about discovering how you're gifted. You find none about discovering who you're not. (laughs) But it is really important. You need to know who you're not. And as I've grown as a Christian, I have grown to discover some ways that God has given me to be a blessing and a help to you. But I've also learned the hard way, time and time again, who I need in my life. This is not me. I don't function well here. I need these people around me in order for the mission to be fulfilled. Uh, I got a really interesting lesson in this during our last session of Hide and Seek Club. I didn't ask Bill Raymond's permission to tell this story, but Bill, I'm going to tell it anyway. We, <laughs> we, we had planned this uh, Pinewood Derby race. Remember that? Guys, it was about to become the biggest disaster in State Road's history. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I had no plan for how to, like judge who won and put them in charts and graphs. And Bill Raymond saw what was coming, like a train coming down the tracks, like this, <laughs> this is going to be really bad. And he just stepped up and became what I needed. I mean, he created a program and sheets and a chart, and he was there, and he put, I don't know what we would have done without Bill Raymond, but it would have been an unmitigated disaster. I've reflected on that time and time again, that as a member of a body, That was a great picture in my mind of my finitude, my limits, 
where I found my complement in the body of Christ. The ministry, that fun evening and everything that was attached to it went off because of the body, not because of me. And this is a really important thing for us to get. We really need one another. And I don't say that flippantly. I say it with kind of a sick desperation that we get this glimpse. Because otherwise, this is going to be really not what it ought to be. We really need one another, everybody on board, everybody on deck, working within their giftedness to contribute as God has given them to contribute. And I could, I could point to lots of other people in the hide-and-seek club world who helped make that um, fun, because I'm not fun either. So <laughs> I, want, I want to close our time together this morning. I just want to finish this out by pointing us toward just one of the reasons. Uh, in the coming weeks, we're going to explore more reasons. I think there are lots of reasons. I want to cover just one this morning. Uh, for why I think it's so important that God insists on us being a one another people. And again, there's, there's others. But just one I felt called to highlight this morning. We'll highlight more in the coming weeks. And then I also want to share with you two potential pitfalls that I want us to be aware of as we study these passages in the coming weeks. But first, here's, I think, a really important uh, reason for the one another passages. Again, consider with me these words in Hebrews 10, 24 through 25. I read them earlier. It says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. One of the interesting things to turn around in my mind in this passage is the why God all the more as we see the day drawing near. That's interesting. All the more, it says. It says, consider one another, how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, encouraging one another. There's three one another's in there, basically. And then it says, and these things all the more as you enter the last days, as you see the day drawing near. Jesus said in Matthew 24, 12, these are the words of Jesus, he says, And because lawlessness will be increased, speaking about the last days, the love of many will grow cold. And what the author in Hebrews says is if our meeting together is meant to encourage each other and stir us up to love and good works, then it's obvious why we must do this all the more as we see the day, the day of Christ's appearing, drawing near. The threat against our faith and our love will increase as that day draws closer. The preciousness of close Christian relationships becomes obvious when we recognize what Paul says in Ephesians 5.16, that the days are evil. The preciousness of comforting, encouraging believers in our lives is understood most when we feel the cold pressing in. You guys all live in a rustic county, right? You have at some point in your life, I'm sure, especially if you grew up up here, been warned about the dangers of hypothermia, right? If you do get hypothermic, what's the solution? You've got to get warmed up again. If you're out in the wilderness and there is no source of heat, other human beings are your source of heat. In the cold, you need close contact with other human beings, even skin-to-skin -skin contact in a really desperate situation, to stay warm in the cold, to avoid hypothermia setting in. And I do think that what these verses are saying is that it's cold out there, 
And you need close, intimate contact with other believers to stay warm. It says that the love of many will grow cold. And in Hebrews 10, 24 through 25, we're told not to neglect meeting together because that is the place where we will be spurred on to love and good works. The love of many will grow cold. Don't neglect being together where you'll be spurred on towards love. You need the body to persevere. I think if you think you can drift off and be alone in pursuit of the Christian life, I hope God in His grace helps you there. But what's closest to His heart and what He calls us to and commands us to and what I think obedience requires to one who we call Lord is that we embrace this one another vision. So we see how critically important it is for each of us personally as Christ followers that we heed this command to be one another people for mutual encouragement and watch care. This is one of God's appointed means of grace that we will all persevere to the end. It says in Matthew 24, 12 through 13, after Jesus says, And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. And then it says, And those who persevere to the end will be saved. And so I think this is a critically important subject as we think about these words of Jesus. Small groups, intentionally striving and moving towards other believers, embracing a life of interdependent interconnectedness with the body of Christ, really embracing this idea of being a one another people. I don't care if you're Petula Clark or the Drifters, you need it. (laughs) You need it. You shouldn't avoid the one anotherness stuff for the lure of a downtown, busy, exciting scene. And you shouldn't, like the drifters, drift off in a ruinous way, away from what's needed. Uh, a word here for our friends who are going off to college. We've got a number of them uh, in our fellowship, just folks that we love deeply. And you're going off into a scene. Uh, possibly, where you're going to go off to school, and this moment in your life requires so much humility. It requires you to have the maturity spiritually to say, I, it's cold where I'm going, and I need to find a group that's warm to help me stay warm. Uh, This is my prayer for our friends who are going off to college. I've been praying it over them and for them and thinking about them. And it's something I think we should continue to pray for them as they go off to school here in the fall. Especially if they're going to a a college that is not going to be affirming or helpful to them in, in uh, in their pursuit of Jesus. But my counsel to you is you need to find a church like you need to find fire in sub zero temperatures. You need it, or you're going to die. (laughs) You're going to freeze. The love of many will grow cold. And one of God's means of grace that he has given us to stay warm is the body of Christ. Uh, Again, there are many more reasons for this one anotherness that God has given us. We're going to explore more in the coming days, but in the interest of time, I'll move on. I promised two potential pitfalls. It's less than a full sheet. Don't worry, we're almost done. 
as we look at these uh, one another statements in the coming weeks, one thing I want you to be aware of is when we look at these one another statements, a lot of us on these Sundays ahead are going to walk out of here going, I just fall so far short of what I just heard in the Bible. (laughs) That is in no way, shape, or form a fair description of me. And I don't want you to drive home on those Sundays beating yourself up. Don't be a perfectionist about these things. We're going to catch a vision, an exciting vision, something we can all be striving towards. But most of the time, it will not be a vision that is yet true for us. We all fall short in many ways, and there will always be room for improvement. And along the way, as we look at these one another passages, again, you will just have that uncomfortable sensation that this is not a good description of you or the church family you're living in. And this is why we should cultivate genuine Christian fellowship in the soil of God's grace. Uh, This is why I think in the midst of these gatherings, these small group gatherings, authenticity and truth are really important. I think we need to be a people who can say, that thing that we heard about on Sunday is not yet true for me, but I want it to be. And will you pray for me? Will you help me? Will you hold me accountable to the good resolves I've formed? There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's the good promise in Romans 8.1. You're still alive. You're drawing breath. His mercies are new every morning. And motivated by love, fueled by joy, we can step out into this new day, resolved to embrace a more excellent way, both personally and as a people. God's grace allows us to get up, dust ourselves off, and try again and again and again to move with greater intentionality towards being one another people. The second thing I want you to do is don't be a perfectionist with yourself and don't be a perfectionist with others. Uh, That's the second one. It's easy. It's going to be all too easy to weaponize the one another commands into a merciless standard by which we evaluate the attempts of others to love and serve us. Uh, If we do this well, if we do this, if we do this well, if we kind of weaponize them, it'll just grow into this very bitter heart towards our church family. I think a lot of people will walk out of here on Sunday mornings hearing a word about being one another people, and they'll say, yes, that is what's needed, and this church has failed me in that way. Maybe you're right. We can grow and we can improve, we can be better. I know as a pastor, because I talk with people who leave the church sometimes, that this is very close to the center of their complaint. The church was not to me what it should have been. You are not a kind of one another people to me. There's a bitterness that creeps in with this thought. And we can easily harbor resentment toward others who we view as having failed to be to us what we wish they had been. I say respond to your own failings with repentance and respond to the failings of others in your church family with grace and patience. If you have failed others, respond with repentance, (laughs) confession, ask forgiveness. When other people have failed you, please respond with grace and patience. Bear with them. Others will never love you perfectly in this life. 
I think we can do better, and I'm excited by the vision of State Road doing better there. But this is why some of the most important one another commands in the Bible are to forgive one another and bear with one another. God understands the reality when you get people like us together in a church family that there's going to be cause to bear with one another and forgive. And so I want you to have this in mind as we go forward into the coming weeks. One, don't beat yourself up. (laughs) And as we get a picture through these one another statements of how church ought to be, let that be fuel for the fire in how we want to shape our church family, not the grounds for our condemnation of it. Amen? Let's do that. All right, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this 30,000-foot view of the one another statements in the Bible. God, we didn't really spend much time with any of them specifically. But God, in the midst of that big pile of commands, and man, there are a lot of them, where you speak to us in a one another kind of way. God, we begin to see your Father's heart for us, your children. We, We begin to see a picture of the kind of family that you want us to be. And Father, my prayer is that you would make that real here. God, make it real. God, this is not a book club where we gather week after week and talk about our favorite book. Every word in your Bible is meant to be lived. And Father, as we walk away from these one another statements in the coming weeks, my prayer is that we would walk out of here with a picture in our minds of what we're going to do to move in obedience to what we just saw there. God, we invite you, we plead with you to shape us more and more into the image and likeness of Jesus through these coming times in your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.